You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. This session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. This is in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and Michael, this uh, podcast each week is a combination of past recordings and present day recordings. I get confused myself sometimes, but yeah, I assure everyone we're we're in the here and now, right here, aren't we? Yes, yeah, I, I, yeah, I do too. I funny, I just read a book for someone on uh, aging in faith or something like that, and uh, I'd read a book years ago on growing old in Christ when I was fifty, when I thought that was growing old, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm easily confused, so uh, yes. go easy on me, okay? Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> thankfully, uh, our producer, Joe Carlson, has outlined everything for us and typed it up, and uh, right. we, are just, we are just his automatons who read from That's the right. list. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so much I could say, but I won't right now in no. interest of time. But Thank we you. do have some, some flashbacks, so to speak, coming up on the program here today. Ken yes. Boa is one of them we're going to hear from in just a moment. Do you remember when you talked to Ken? We had a hard time getting the two of you on track because all you wanted to talk about was astronomy. Yes, I remember that. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and uh, Ken's, Ken's going to talk with us. We're going to have a good long uh, exposure to his mind and to his heart. He's a sweet brother. All right. And then later still... Some teaching from some guy named Michael Card on the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, from your Biblical Imagination Conference. So that's coming up here in the studio with Michael Card today. Anything else you want to say before we dig in? No, I'm just glad to be back back together with you guys and and doing some more programs. Yep, me too. It's great fun to be with you, even via Zoom during these pandemic times, Mike. So... All right, yeah. well, let's uh, let's start with one of your songs recorded in the studio. It's uh, called Star Kindler, and then we'll hear from Ken Boa. Thank you. 
a light that travels far Began the trip from his fingertips The wonder of the stars Confirmed the signs and seasons So silently they sing Of the wonder of their kindler Of the power of their king Mike, sometimes I think we should record the pre-conversation of these interviews instead of the actual interview, yeah. because we just had a lot of fun with Ken Boa. Well, that's what I just told Joe, Joe we need to do. <laughs> but we're going to start officially now and introduce Ken Boa. Kenneth Boa is an author, a speaker, the president of Reflections Ministries. He's the author of over 50 books. You've wow. got the newest one in front of you there. Yes, so. I'm excited to read this, uh, Life in the Presence of God, because I, Brother Lawrence, The Practice of the Presence of God, was a huge yeah. book for me. So, Ken, welcome. I had to ask the two of you to stop talking before we started the recording here. So <laughs> we can begin officially now. Well, now we're going yeah, to behave, get, though. Get That's no fun. Stop playing so much. You yeah. see, they have to pay attention and sit <laughs> up and. Yeah. Report. Right. This Ken, this will be much more boring, right? <laughs> Indeed, it will be. There it is. Okay. Whose fault is that, Michael? We were restrained. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's begin. Michael, meet Ken Bo. Okay. It's nice to meet you, Ken. Uh, I, you I, too. To get to start our conversation, a long time ago, I, I wrote a song called uh, "The Nazarene." The Nazarene had come to live the life of every man, and he felt the fascination of the stars. Go. Mm. Go. Mm. Um, I've been drawn ever since because of the sense of the majesty and the transcendence, even before I knew Jesus. Mm. The dynamic of looking up at the, at the sky. I tell people even today that if you ever have a problem of supposing that you're a captain of the universe, <laughs> um, if you want to get a perspective of where you really are in this world, lie down, on a, especially if you can find uh, a clear night, yes. and if you can possibly see uh, the Milky Way, very few people ever see it because of that, uh, because of the, the places where we are. But suppose you look up at that. After about 10 minutes, you realize you're not looking up. You're looking down. Actually, you're not looking up or down. You're immersed mm. in this mystery of glory that David spoke of uh, declaring the glory of the living God, pointing beyond itself as a transcendent pointer to that which is so beyond us um, that it evokes the imagination and stirs the whole concept of um, of awe, majesty, and wonder. And and the reality is that David could only see about 3,000 stars. The, un- mm-hmm. the, the, the naked eye can only see that many. Mm-hmm. And and now we begin to realize, oh my word, after Edwin Hubble in the 20s realized, uh, he was the first to realize that the Milky Way galaxy is not the whole of the cosmos, but mm-hmm. rather <laughs> it's only now one of perhaps some... 200 to 400 billion oh, galaxies. The galaxy, and, they're like snowflakes. They're like snowflakes. Yeah. It, it's astonishing. In fact, new, a newer estimate instead of 200 billion is now perhaps as many as 2 trillion, but the wow. idea, and then each one containing two, uh, 200 to 400 billion stars, mm-hmm. there are more stars in the visible universe than there are grains of sand on all the beaches and all of the world, uh, all the deserts of the world, and possibly by a factor of 10. 
but he knows them all by name. Mike, this has been your fascination for a lifetime too, hasn't it? Well, but I don't think, to, not to the degree that Ken has gone into it, but yeah, um, uh, astronomy has, has been very important to me. I, I, I want to hear you, Ken, uh, Ken uh, you know, God takes Abraham outside and says, look up if you can count mm-hmm. the stars. I mean, even God points people to the stars to make, to make points. Indeed he does. Yes. Indeed. In fact, the uh, four portals or entryways for God's revelatory communication with us include, first of all, uh, his world, and then second, yeah. his word, and then third, his works, and finally, his ways. Mm-hmm. And so this is um, an agency of, of the living God. I call it Windows of Heaven. In fact, I have a whole video of this um, on my website just to use astronomy images. We're blessed and be able to see things that no one else could see. Even a few decades ago, mm-hmm. the, the um, parameters that we now have, the capacity to see uh, these nebulae and these other, de- de- in such remarkable color details, are beyond anything that any other generations have seen. We're but, great, greatly privileged. But even binoculars, you can the things you can see with binoculars are, are pretty impressive. I, I, I remember, I will never forget this, uh, we we used to live out in the country, and and uh, it was a pretty pretty clear sky, and I had some astronomical binocular, pr- pretty big binoculars, and there was an elderly woman. I, I pointed them at at Saturn, and she looked mm-hmm. at the, the eyepieces, and she just burst into tears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd never <laughs> seen anything like it. Oh my word! Yeah. yeah, I mean, imagine the moment when Galileo saw not only Jupiter but the four moons. Wow! Uh, his those and that moment. A sudden revelation and the realization there are bands in this thing, and this is beyond anything you would have ever dreamed or imagined, and it just goes from there. When he looks back, he looks back 30 minutes later, and they moved, right? He drew (laughs) pictures. They they moved. Yeah, these things are moving, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so all of these wonders are are available to us, and uh, we most people rarely notice or appreciate, and I think God loves it when people... um, see and say thank you for that glory and that beauty. Mm. One of the things I try to train myself to do, for example, when I'm driving now, is to uh, appreciate the beauty that I'm seeing. I'm going through a funnel of beauty, of glory, that Mm. most people never even notice. But you can train yourself to be aware of that at the same time that you're driving. It doesn't take extra time at all. It's mm. a, it's a, and then you begin to see things you never even noticed before. So that's part. Then, that's part yeah. of this. That's part of this life in the presence of God. Is it, is seeing uh, that was my clever little way of of, of having a segue <laughs> into the um, <laughs> the very one of the early exercises I did a few years ago. It was in a January, and there, and so I'm I'm driving. I said I'm going to try to train myself to do something that requires no additional time. Because Thomas Kelly, in his testament of devotion, made it evident that, and I think he's quite right, that God has created us in such a way that we are capable of thinking on two levels simultaneously. We're really amphibious beings, one foot in heaven and the other on earth. And Mm. as a consequence, I believe we have the spiritual capacity that's as great as our capacity to see the physical, the material, the mundane, the ordinary, the routine. But it must be—it's—it's it's there, but it's latent and must be trained and developed. And as a result of in- integrating the two, you're not multitasking; you're integrating, and mm. then you begin to see heaven and earth. And after a while, you see what you couldn't have seen before. And so. I saw the dendritic architecture of trees. I saw the the bones of trees in that January, and I was astonished. Wait a minute. What I've never noticed 
No two are alike. And then you begin to realize the, can- the, cl- the leaf canopy it's preparing for. And then I saw a few weeks later a tulip magnolia, and I almost went off the road because uh. I never, the, 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 mo- the moment of, of ah, purple and white and this beauty. And now I cannot help but do it. It's a matter of, that's not a matter of time, it's a matter of intention. And that doesn't even take into account the way they smell. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> it just goes on. The, I, that, let's not go there. I have a list of 15 senses and counting. <laughs> wow. But I just thought there were like four or five. <laughs> yeah, there used to be. Yeah, I have my, my list is 15, but that's another discussion. Wow. <laughs> well, go on. I love to hear the two of you talk about these things, especially the, the it, it, here's God who created all this and at the same yeah. time invites us well, to commune with him. And what about the creation story? And he created the stars also. <laughs> yes, it just throws that in. He created the stars also. Oh, and by the way. And, and, yeah, by the way. <laughs> and then that remakes, it immediately made me think of the last uh, stanza in the uh, the, the last canto of the, the Divine Com- Comedy, what he called Comedia, because it ends well. And he said, the love that moves the sun and other stars. Mm. And I, it makes me think of the verse, as you know, that precedes Genesis 1-1. There we hear, in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. But then we see in John, uh, in the beginning was the Lagos, mm-hmm. and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. Suddenly we realize this is before the beginning of matter, energy, space, and time. We are now dealing with that which is so beyond our comprehension. Mm-hmm. And we're and we're privileged to enter into that, and then the astonish, astonishing mystery within a mystery, like nested hierarchies of mystery. The logos, the word, takes humanity into himself and becomes one with us. The logos, through whom he created all of this, who, the one who creates who creates the whole thing, now enters into this creation, and now there's a man in heaven. The idea of him being an amphibious being that there was no such creature before the angels are do not are not embodied, and the animals have no spirits. We are spiritual beings having an earthbound embodied experience. Okay, it, when when I think it's in Colossians when when Paul says that in Him I, he's talked about Jesus as the one through yes. whom God created in Him all things hold together. Hold together. Could, that's the word. So and he is, he, is, he the binding, is he the binding? Is he the binding force? Is he the binding he's force? He's the binding force, and so I I often use the imagery here. Um, I'm, I'm always amazed at our abysmal ignorance um, when we use a word like the strong force because we don't know what else to call it. What is this force that holds the protons together in the nuclei of all the atoms? And there's no explanation whatsoever because, as you well know, the closer those uh, forces that are same, the same uh, reach each other, they repel each other in an inverse square proportion. And so, consequences, there's the amount of, of of a strong force that holds it together is in a teaspoon of water is equivalent to the energy that would require the king, the queen Elizabeth II, to go from Liverpool to New York and back. Mm. But we don't know what it is, so we call it the strong force, mm. <laughs> as if we had any idea. We put names to mysteries, and we think we understand what they mean, mm. right? 
Now yeah. we say dark energy, and now we say dark matter mm. to account for phenomena that uh, w- where we simply do not know. Mm. Quasars, we look at quasars, and they are apparently about the size of a sun, but they have the power of a galaxy. Mm. There is no force we know that can account for such a mm. And so it goes. So, Ken, do these, these things we're talking about, do they permeate your writing? I, they permeate my teaching. I have visual presentations from the macrocosm to the microcosm. I have uh, presentations on astronomy because um, I love um, we, we, the fact that we are privileged to live in a time where there is more evidence for the glory of the maker, of the creator, now than ever before. Mm. The reasons for that, mm. uh, but because I believe that um, Pascal was right when he said that um, God has apportioned the evidence in such a way that there's enough to satisfy the heart and the mind of a person who chooses to believe, and enough ambiguity to allow the the one who rejects the evidence to rationalize his disbelief. Mm. And now we live in a culture where disbelief increases, because guess what God does? He bumps up the ante of evidence, mm-hmm. and he uses it in all ways, through, uh, through technology, through science. Mm. And the evidence that I use for, I have a presentation on science, faith, and reason where I talk about the evidence for the beginning of the universe, the evidence, secondly, for the fine-tuning of the cosmos, third, the evidence for the impossibility of biogenesis, the first cell, and fourth, the the, uh, evidence for information, the nature of information, in the the, uh, bio-macromolecules that we call DNA. I don't even have to talk about the E word, evolution. Mm. I've already, we've already nailed it. And we now have more of that evidence in those four spheres um, in the last 40 years than ever before. So it's a wonderful thing to watch. So it's extraordinary how it's actually enhancing and, and reinforcing uh, the, the biblical perspective. I don't think of faith as being a leap in the dark. It's a step in the light. Mm-hmm. Ken, have you seen the latest high-res pictures of Jupiter that NASA just released? Yes, I did, and uh, I, I I keep collecting these things. I, every day I go to Astronomy Picture of the Day, and I collect my favorite images. Ah, they, they remind me of Van Gogh. Oh, my, they're, they're, mar- they're marvelous. Yeah, yeah, they're like the stars a, swirling in yeah. Starry Night in yeah. Van Gogh, and it's Starry Jupiter. And, and he himself saw that he believed he, he was a painter for a future generation. Mm. He saw things others did not see. Yeah, Boy. things that moved, and that's another discussion. But yeah. yeah, the two of you are dangerous together. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I understand it started for both of you in planetariums, huh? It all started there, and we were we were talking at the beginning there about the Star of Bethlehem, mm-hmm. and that's the whole thing I'm going to be sending to Michael about yes. the whole I, my own my own view because my master's thesis was on the Star of Bethlehem. Oh, okay, yeah, and all I, right, and I yeah, I systematically eliminated the naturalistic phenomena and oh. concluded that actually it was the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God, that was the glory that manifested itself in the wilderness as a as a pillar of cloud by day and and uh, of of uh, of fire by night that guided them and manifested his presence, the Emmanuel, and so forth. There's a, lot, there's a whole separate discussion. But we were both forced to endure the Star Bethlehem show, where there's a conjunction of Saturn, blah, 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 in the, house, That's gonna do it. In the yeah. house of the Hebrews. And I, I had to do that every year. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We need to put Ken's website on our website. Absolutely. So that listeners now will know where to go. Absolutely. To get more of this, because I want more That's of this, funny. and I know our listeners yeah. do too. Yes. That's so funny. This has been fascinating, yeah. Ken. And thank you. God bless you. I'm, 
you know, I live in Chicago, so it's really hard to find a dark, starry oh, night. But hey, I oh, just you've got that right. <laughs> there was a blackout in L.A. not too long ago, and they got all these phone calls. The people saw the Milky Way, and they didn't know what it was, oh. and they were freaking out <laughs> and calling kidding? the police. Well, I won't do what that. Is that? What, what is that thing up there? What, <laughs> yeah. This, this big white streak, what uh, could that possibly yeah. be? Yeah. Ken, you've opened our eyes. No question about it. <laughs> so, in the, so I know we were going to talk about life in the presence of God, but it was this our segue really was this exercise that uh, opened up the whole reality. There are two principles that I love. One is that it is not time, it is intentionality. Mm. And second, it is not trying, it is training. And then putting those two together, I discussed neuroplasticity and the very fact that we can actually train ourselves to become habitually aware of God's manifest presence. And the shocking thing for me was the reality that the church has never taken seriously all the clear evidence of the claims that we ought to be manifesting that presence in our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, pray without ceasing, and re- rejoice always, and everything give thanks. Set your mind on the things above. Walk by the Spirit. Abide in Christ. Um, how on earth can you do that? Do Would you abide in the morning, a little <laughs> bit maybe at night before mm-hmm. I go to bed? I think I'm going to love God, my neighbor, maybe in the afternoon. Oh, yeah. it's, these are ongoing processes, and it presupposes the idea of the integration of heaven and earth, that we are spiritual beings who are already seated in the, at the heavenly places at, at, at the right hand of the Father in Christ, and yet we are also... In this world, we are in this world in our souls, our bodies, in a, in a soul-forming world. And so it's the whole thing. I, and I love Brother Lawrence, but the Church only gives a nod to him. Yeah. And, but he never told us much about how he did it. And yeah. so that's why I felt the need to create a guide to practicing God's presence, which was kind of like a, um, an actual supplement to life in the presence of God. And we have to have a presence app. We have a, we've created an app called Presence that deals just that with, that way. I want people to begin to realize you can do this all the time. Every right. conversation, every drive, every uh, experience of beauty, um, time dil- uh, dilation exercises and, st- and stopping exercises, it goes on and on. So I felt there was a need for that. So I can be as close to God when I'm washing dishes down in the kitchen <laughs> as the brothers are in the chapel while they're praying. <laughs> yes. I mean, maybe you've, we've heard that, haven't we? <laughs> and so you can take out the garbage to the glory of God. Wow, man. And, wow. Um, everything matters. My favorite poet, uh, George Herbert, uh, in his elixir says, Teach me, my God and King, in all things thee to see, and what I do in anything to do it as for thee. And he goes on, and he discusses this whole idea of realizing that um, a servant who understands this principle makes drudgery divine, who sweeps a room as for thy laws makes that and the action fine. Everything matters. You have enriched us. Thank you, Ken. Ken Boa, the author of Life in the Presence of God. Ken, you've opened our eyes, and it's wonderful. Thanks for being here in this conversation. I've enjoyed it. God bless you. Thank you. Well, again, that was from the archive, and we're back in the here and now, Michael. Um, It's so fun to hear from listeners. Thank you to all who have emailed Michael in the studio at michaelcard.com, including those from overseas. You know, I sit in Chicago. You sit near Nashville, and we record these programs. You've got friends in so many places. This is from Joy in Germany. She says, Dear Michael Card, I grew up with your music, and the way you retell the stories from the Bible and beautiful lyrics has had a huge impact on me. I appreciate that you've not lost anything of your passion for the Word of God, the ancient and well-known stories, and that you haven't turned dogmatic and narrow-minded over the years either. 
Uh, <laughs> are we talking about the same? Never mind. Oh, Never yeah. mind. <laughs> After each one of your songs or sermons, I encourage you to take a deep look into God's word to find his compassionate heart there. Thanks a lot for all your work and faith. I pray you'd be blessed in all you do and all you don't do. Many greetings from overseas, Joy says. So thank you, Joy. Yeah, thank you, Joy. I, I appreciate that. That's good encouragement. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the more, the, the longer you... Um, you live in this world, the less dogmatic you get. I hope. Yeah, I find that true as well. Yeah. Right. Uh, just time for one more note. This comes from the UK. Dave says, I finally got to find time to listen to the last two podcasts and feel blessed. Guys, thank you for all that you bring. In a messy week, fortnight, tonight has been an oasis in which peace has been found. God bless your ministry. Looking forward to seeing you back in the UK soon, travel permitting. Ah. Uh. Well, thanks, Dave. We're coming back in September. We're supposed to do a whole tour the whole month of September. And uh, oh, cool. interesting, that use of the word fortnight. That's when you know you're dealing with an Englishman. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, as they say, yes. right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, again, our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. And it's such fun to hear from these points around the globe, Mike. And yes. you have so many good friends. Yeah, it's, it, sure, it surely is. Well, let's jump back into the past now, because when we recorded this program many years ago at Molin Studio, when you lived there, we, um, we had you sit down and record a whole bunch of songs. And so we've got those in our archive, and let's listen to one of those right now, a studio performance from Michael Card. Let all things now living. song of thanksgiving to God the Creator triumphantly raise who fashioned and made us protected and stayed us who guided us unto the end of our days his banners are o'er us his light goes before us a pillar of fire shining forth through the Till shadows have vanished and darkness is banished As forward we travel from light unto light His law he enforces the stars in their courses The sun in his orbit obediently shines the hills and the mountains the rivers and fountains the depths of the oceans proclaim him divine we too should be voicing our love and rejoicing with glad adoration our songs let us raise till all things now living Unite in thanksgiving to God the Creator, Hosanna and praise. Well, it's been a great session so far, but we need to reset the studio for the second half. If what you're hearing has prompted you to look for more, look online for more from Michael that can help. Find books, including the newest release titled The Nazarene, 
There's music and news about upcoming conferences, all at michaelcard.com. You can email your comments and questions to inthestudio at michaelcard.com. That's inthestudio at michaelcard.com. And we hope you'll get the word out about this program by posting a review on Apple Podcasts or sharing the link on your favorite social media platform. Coming up, more music and conversation after this message in the studio with Michael Card. This month, we're featuring the CSB Notebook Editions. Here's Michael with more about this Bible study resource. On the left side, you've got the actual text of the CSB, and on the right, you've got you know blank line sheet to take notes in. I absolutely love this thing. Search for CSB Notebook at csbible.com and scroll through the list of Bible books that are available. Find the notebook version you want to order and apply your 30% discount on the CSB purchase through LifeWay. Type in the studio as one word in the promotion code for your 30% discount with LifeWay. The Christian Standard Bible Notebook, the perfect study tool to record your research and insights as you get serious with God's Word. If you were in a group Bible study doing Luke or Mark or whatever, everyone should start by getting one of these. Imagine when you've worked through this and then you can share it with, you know, your family, give it to your kids. I can't tell you how excited I am about these. Search for CSB Notebook now at csbible.com. Back in the studio with Michael Card. And Michael, we're going to hear your teaching now from a Biblical Imagination Conference. Tell us what's ahead here. Well, we're going to be looking at the details in uh, in Holy Week uh, leading up to the arrest of Jesus and um, the, the the details of uh, Jesus sending the disciples in town to get, a, get the donkey for him to ride into town on. And, uh, and something new for me, Wayne, is um, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that the, the 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 upper room where they have the Lord's Supper and the place where they get the donkey and uh, other things around this house in Jerusalem that it's probably Mark's house unless Jesus has two rich friends in Jerusalem I think it's probably Mark's house <laughs> interesting yeah yeah all right well we are a couple of weeks away from Holy Week and we have a very special program planned for Holy Week known by the scars but well let's turn to your teaching now from the Biblical Imagination Conference recorded in Manchester New Hampshire but you sing first, A Violent Grace, accompanied by Paul Eckberg and Steve Mikesell. A mural of memories moved by in a blur. His prayers all seem unanswered and unheard. His pleading petitions, his loud cries and tears. Thank you. 
had ever heard And to the world the thought seemed so absurd Beyond their wildest dreams No one could ever tell Of a high priest who would sacrifice himself So ruthless he loves us So reckless his embrace To show relentless kindness Uh, in Matthew, the entry of, entry of Jerusalem, he talks about the arrangements uh, for the donkey. Only Matthew mentions and, and there's a colt with the donkey. Uh, and there are all kinds of uh, explanations about that. Uh, he quotes Zach, Zechariah 9.9 as a fulfillment formula about riding the donkey. Uh, they put robes and, br- and branches on the ground. But unique... Uh, Matthew says the whole city was shaken by Jesus entering. The whole city was affected, uh, uh, was disturbed, let's say it that way. Um, And they say this is the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Matthew is the gospel of Galilee. He he mentions Galilee more than any other other one. The women who are with Jesus are women from Galilee. Okay. Um, The cleansing happens... And one of the uniquenesses of Matthew that I think is maybe the whole point of the story, uh, after Jesus tears the temple up the second time, Matthew says the blind and the lame came to Jesus when he was teaching in the temple. And what you need to know is the blind and the lame aren't allowed in the temple. Even a priest who's lame isn't allowed in the temple. Okay, But, but Jesus has had this impact, and now blind and lame people are coming to him uh, in that courtyard. He's teaching in that courtyard in the temple. And only Matthew, uh, only Matthew talks about that. Okay? And that's unique. Uh, Mark. Uh, Mark talks about the arrangement of the donkey, but he gives a detail that no one had ever ridden on this donkey. And that, that means it's fit to be used by a king, because king, kings use things that no one else has ever used. Jesus lays in a tomb that no one else has ever been laid in. What does that mean? It means it's fit for a king to, be, to, to, to use it, okay? So no one has ever sat on this donkey before, so that means Jesus can use it. They put roads, uh, robes and, and branches on the road. They say, Hosanna. Uh, in, in Mark, it, only Mark says that Jesus enters. He looks around at the city, and he goes back out to Bethany, which causes problems for uh, if you're trying to reconstruct a chronology sometimes. Okay? Um, unique to Mark is in, uh, what we call an inclusio of Jesus cursing the fig tree. And, um, and only Mark says that Jesus won't let people carry things through the temple courtyard, which is a very Jewish thing to do. Right? He will not allow people to carry things through the temple. Okay, John... Uh, Unique to John is that the crowd hears that Jesus is coming and they go out to meet him. Only John tells us that, which is interesting. Uh, of course, most of John is unique. Um, and uh, unique to John, um, he, John whispers that Jesus' disciples didn't understand what they were doing. Only later they understood it. And that's very, t- John is the only gospel that whispers. 
by that, there, there are 59 asides in John where he's saying Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. Okay, that's always John. That's always John, those unique asides. Um, unique to John was that those who had been at Lazarus' tomb were there. So when Jesus enters Jerusalem, there's a dead guy and a blind guy with him. You know, he's just healed a blind man in, in Jericho, and he's just raised Lazarus. And John lets us know Lazarus is with him. And what did the high priest decide? We're going to have to kill Lazarus too, right? We've got to kill Jesus. Well, we've got to him. I'm a high priest. I do not believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees believe in the resurrection. The priests don't. So what am I going to do with the evidence? I'm going to destroy the evidence. I'm going to kill both of them, okay? They've left me no choice. Not my fault, right? I'm thinking like a high priest. Never mind that he's already been raised from the dead. <laughs> right. Well, no, that's the problem, right? He's been, the, the Pharisees have no problem with resurrection. They love, the, I mean, if you're a Pharisee, that, that is my, um, in a bad sense, that's, that's kind of the hold I have on you. Afterlife, resurrection. So you need to keep the oral law so that you'll be part of the resurrection of the righteous. Priests, that's not a part of their, you know, their thinking. Okay, um, only in John the Pharisees complain that the whole world is going after Jesus, and um, John leaves out the sec- second temple cleansing. Why? Because he told us about the first temple cleansing. You know what happened twice. The bookends of Jesus' ministry are him tearing up the temple. In John, he does it. It's the very first public public thing he does in John is tear up the temple. In, in the synoptics, the last public thing he does is tear up the temple. It's the bookends. Now, there are people who say John just put it in the wrong place. And I know, you know people that you know, believe that, but I don't happen to believe that. Uh, and only John, interesting to me, only John has uh, the passage referred to as the coming of the Greeks, where Philip comes to uh, Jesus and said, the Greeks are here and they want to see you. And Jesus, in John, it's always been his time had not yet come. It's time and not. They tried to arrest him. His time had not yet come. His time had not yet come. Okay, that happens over and over and over and over in John. The Greeks come to Jesus and Jesus says, the time has come. It's the sign he's been looking for. These Greeks coming to him. And, and they say, well, we want to see Jesus. And there's no follow-up story. You have no idea what happens. That's not important. What's important is they've come. And that's what Jesus has been, that's the moment sort of that he's been, he's been waiting for. Um, yeah, so let's, yeah, so let's look at, look at the text. I just think it's, in, it's, it's cool to compare those. So we're 1928. After Jesus had said this, um, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And you always go up to Jerusalem. Um, As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. So that's the same detail as the tomb. It's, It's fit to be used Uh, by a king. And by the way, he's actually walking up the same road that the Samaritan had just walked down. He just told that story, that road from Jericho to Jerusalem, uh, which is a, you know, dangerous road. I have a friend, a Jewish friend who worked on the road. They have a new road, obviously a four lane road. But uh, he said, when we were building that road, uh, we used to, for lunch, we would take raw eggs with us and we would put them in the sand and they would cook. That's how hot it was. 
Yeah, we had eggs for, for lunch every day. We cooked them in the sand. Go, yikes. Um, uh, so untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Now, some people think this is some kind of mystical thing that Jesus foresaw. I think he just set this up. He knows these people. Same thing with the, the upper room. You know, you're going to see a guy with a jar, follow him and tell him the Lord needs this room. And they're going to say, okay, I, th- I think, you know, the, the most practical explanation is usually the one. I don't think it was some, you know, vision that he had about this. He's just a prearranged thing that he's, he's done. But if you want to believe the other thing, that's too. Don't ever be dogmatic about what the Bible's not uh, dogmatic about. And it's not dogmatic about that. Um, And that happens. That actually happens. Um, As they were untying the coat, its owners asked them, why are you untying the coat? They replied, the Lord needs it. They go, okay. So they brought it to Jesus through their cloaks on the coat and and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their coats on the road. Um... Here's where Matthew quotes Zechariah 9, 9, see your king comes to you um, riding on, the, on a donkey, on the, fo- on the foal of a donkey. Um, okay, so everything Jesus is doing says king, and it's not obscure. It's really, it's really clear what he's doing, okay? When they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, and we're pretty sure we know right where that is. And what happens is you come up over the hill, and it's the first view that you see of Jerusalem. It's the first, you know, you see the temple and, and uh, all, all that stretched out. Uh, and when Jesus sees it, he weeps. Um, so where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Um, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, but this is unique to Luke. Praise, uh, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, which is just what the angels said in chapter 2, verse 14. They're singing what the angels had, had sung, which is pretty cool. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. There's just no, no use. And that's, that's example. Again, I used to say, Jesus is quoting Habakkuk 2.11. He's not quoting Habakkuk. He thinks in Habakkuk 2.11, which says that um, of the stones speaking to the walls. It's an image that's just in his mind because his mind is so saturated uh, with the Scripture. Okay, we know that, in, in, I think from Matthew, when he first saw the city, he lamented. And now in, in Luke, uh, he laments. Um, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept. Um, there are two words that are used in Greek for crying, for Jesus crying. Uh, one is, that's not used here, is edakrusen. Dakru is the Greek word for tear. So when he goes to Lazarus, uh, when he weeps at Lazarus's tomb, it's that. And the images of it, there's a tear. Remember the old um, Keep America Beautiful thing where they had the Native American guy and they turned and there, that's a Dacrison. There's a tear going down his cheek when he goes to Lazarus, see Lazarus. This is the word, it's, it's the word that we get our word cry from, it's Clio. And it, it's audibly weeping. It's kind of boo-hooing. Um, so he sees the city, and he just starts weeping. So in a minute, when he enters the gate, and everyone is celebrating, he's still wiping tears from his eyes. 
okay? It, it, there's this disconnect between his mood, I think, and their, their moods uh, because he knows exactly what's going to happen to him in vivid detail. He's told, we know because he's told them he's going to be bound, he's going to be spat upon. He knows every detail that's going to happen to him. Um, so he weeps over it and he says, here's his lament, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. And that happens in 70 AD. That's what the Romans do. And what's really cool is there, are, there were Christians who remembered that he said this. And when the Romans started moving in, they fled. And they took a lot of Jewish people with them. They fled to a city called Pella. P-E-L-L-A. And a lot of people were saved from the destruction of Jerusalem because they remembered what Jesus said. How cool is that? Okay? So they're going to build an embankment against you and circle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. We just saw the picture of that. Okay? Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And in other places when he talks about this, uh, in, in, the, in the lengthy sections where Jesus talked about the end times, um, um, when, it, it's right after he's torn up the temple the second time he's leaving. And when he says, not one stone is going to be left on the other. And the disciples, they go back up to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples ask him two questions. They said, when will these things happen? Question one. Second question, and what will be the sign of the coming of the end of the age? Question two. Now, they think it's one question, but it's two questions. Because when he says the stones won't be left on top of the other, that sounds like the end of the world to them. But Jesus, and this is very clear, once, this is, once you see this, it will totally change your understanding of all the second coming rigmarole. Jesus gives the simplest, most freeing teaching on the second coming you will ever read. And I, I have people in my family who think the locusts are B-52 bombers and the Pope is the Antichrist and all that stuff. And that just wears me out. I love what Jesus does. Jesus describes two things. He describes an event you can run away from, and he describes an event you can't run away from. The first one is the coming of the Romans, and he says, pray that your flight won't be in winter. Talk about something you run away from. It's going to be very hard for nursing mothers in those days. He's talking about something you can run away from, okay? The second thing, he says, there'll be two people grinding grain. One will be taken, the other left. He's describing something you can't run away from. And it's very clear. There's a, the dividing line is, he'll say, and immediately after those times, and he goes from talking about very concrete historical things to apocalyptic. The sun you know, will stop shining. The, uh, the stars will fall from the sky. It's the second coming. And I, I think it's, it's, it's very important. Uh, and when they ask him what's going to happen, he goes, I don't know. So if he doesn't know, I'm good with that. <laughs> right? So what's the point? The point is that we're faithful and that we're found serving when he comes. Because it's going to happen in the moment, in the twinkling of the eye. We may not finish this session before we hear some loud noise and go, what in the world is that? And it's him coming back. Now, that may be simplistic. My brother thinks I'm an idiot, and that's overly simplistic, but I think that's how it's going to happen. Are there going to be signs that lead up to it? Absolutely, there are signs. But whether it's what's happening in Russia's the bear and America's this and the, you know, all those details, I don't think Jesus leaves us 
that burden on us to figure out all those minute details. I think he says, when I come back, you're going to know. I'm, I'm good with that. I think that's very freeing. If you're a Jesus movement person, you remember that there were days when people were writing all kinds of books about all these. I mean, it, please, come on. Just let, let me love people. Let me wash people's feet. And when he comes back, you know, let me be found serving him when he comes back. That, to me, is very freeing. So, but if you're an end times prophecy person, God bless you. You know, God bless you. Where, where was I? I just stopped. Oh, we saw the city weeped. Oh, um, they will dash you to the ground. He's talking about 70 AD. Uh, and that your children in your wall, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize uh, the time of God's coming to you. One more section, and then we're going to jump ahead. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. Now, they had set up uh, the, the marketplace was referred to as the Bazaar of Annas. Annas is the, he's the power guy. Caiaphas is his son-in-law. For something like 200 years, his descendants controlled the high priesthood. He was a very powerful man. And the temple marketplace, which is called the Bazaar of Annas, was always on the Mount of Olives. Okay, it was always on the Mount of Olives. So you go there to exchange your money, so you, you, you pay your temple tax in a Tyrian shekel because it's the purest, simple, uh, purest silver and it resembles the old Hebrew shekel the most. So a, a shekel from Tyre is what you're exchanging and you're buying spotless lambs and doves and whatever else you need at that marketplace. The first time there's ever a reference to it not being on the Mount of Olives is in John, the first time Jesus tear the, tears the temple up. Why do you think he's so mad when he sees it there? Because that's the first time they've ever moved it into the court of the Gentiles. And why is he mad? Because the Gentiles don't have a place to pray. My temple will be, uh, my house will be a, a place of prayer for all nations. And the, the, the Gentiles don't have any place to pray. So that's why he's so mad, okay? And he tears it up. And this is all my speculation, okay? Uh, but this is, this is the best I got. I'm trying to understand why he got so mad. He goes to the temple every year. He's, he's been doing his whole life. Why does he get so mad now? Well, he gets so mad because they've just moved it. Uh, and that's the first time he, t- he tears it up. And they've moved it back in, I think, and that's why he gets mad again. But again, this is just me trying to understand. So I will, I will not dogmatically argue about any of this stuff. Never be dogmatic about what the Bible's not dogmatic about. So he enters the temple and he began driving out those who were uh, selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of of robbers. Uh, Matthew is verbatim. Mark. Uh, in John, he quotes uh, Psalm 69 9. Of course, it's a different event in John. Uh, Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests and teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. We can't get him alone, right? That's what they tell Judas. We got to get him alone. And I heard a new theory the other day, but the whole, uh, the, the whole business of follow the person with the bucket and there s- set up the Last Supper, the new theory is, and I don't know if I believe it or not, but I think it's interesting. He says, he, this person believed that Jesus was the preparations for the Lord's Supper. He, he made that in, in secret. They didn't know where it was going to be. So Judas didn't know where they were going to do that, or they would have arrested him then. That's a stretch, isn't it? 
Interesting. Right, interesting. But again, don't be dogmatic about what the Bible's not dogmatic about. And uh, Wayne, next week we're going to look at uh, some more details, try to engage uh, with the text and, uh, and see where that takes us, also that we can understand uh, what it was that Jesus endured for us during Holy Week. Yeah, looking forward to it indeed. And more music next week as well. And then during Holy Week, we have Known by the Scars scheduled. So I encourage our listeners to stay with us. Yeah, and Wayne, I'm, ho- I'm hoping this really helps the listeners uh, be prepared for Holy Week to not miss it, to not uh, uh, go past Easter and realize that they never really stopped and engaged with what... Uh, what Easter really means. Thanks, Michael. We're so glad you joined us for this session. It's our prayer that the music and conversation was used by God to expand your understanding of living the Christian life. Learn about Michael's books, his music, and our podcast guest details at michaelcard.com. We're glad for the partnership with our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible. Visit csbible.com to learn more about the great Bible editions that can help you get serious with God's Word. This month, we're featuring the CSB Notebook, This companion to your Bible study is perfect for recording details, insights, and lessons learned from going deep in the text. Search CSB Notebook and scroll through all the notebook options that interest you. When you order, use the promotion code in the studio, typed with no spaces, to receive your 30% discount on CSB purchases through LifeWay. The Christian Standard Bible at csbible.com. Be sure to make plans to join us next time as we feature music and conversation designed to prepare you for Holy Week. For all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Manfield, and our producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for being with us for this edition of In the Studio with Michael Carr.